Welcome back, guys. This is the second part of our episodes revisiting a case from season one. Please don't listen to this part first because there won't be much context at all. I mentioned at the beginning of part one that we were contacted by quite a few people who said we were wrong about Luke Mitchell's guilt, including Sandra Lean, who has been incredibly vocal and is quite a huge supporter of Luke and his innocence. When we had episodes up on YouTube, we had a number of very nasty comments, and I'd like to kind of make a point that I took my information from the trial details in the public domain and the media reports, and whilst I did report on it from the side that he was found guilty, and therefore was the murderer, I did mention elements to the case that hinted at his innocence. But perhaps I wasn't as fair as I could have been. I can't deny that. We can only report on what we know. We can only find the facts required by researching cases for ourselves. And we are human, so therefore we're always going to lean one way or the other. Just like the documentaries and news reports on this case, there will always be some sort of bias. Also, something that Sandra Lean told us and and said that we should have been aware of, which I don't know how we would have been, is that apparently lots of information wasn't part of the trial. How we would ever know information that wasn't publicly reported on or put in the trial, I don't know. But... I have recently joined some groups on Facebook in which people continue to post support for Luke and his innocence and I've really taken the time to look a little bit deeper at this. So I hope that you find over these two episodes that we're trying to be as fair as possible with the information that we have and yeah, hopefully these episodes are a better version of our retelling of Jodie's murder and the potential miscarriage of justice of Luke Mitchell. I would would just add uh, in in Sandra's defence, sometimes um, evidence is inadmissible on, on a technicality in the trial and then is released subsequently in the media. So that could have been what, what she was kind of alluding to, to, to be fair to her. Yeah, um, that's, but, but that's yeah, really I, true. I, yeah, but I totally stand by what, you know, what you've said, Beth, and you, you've gone on what, what's been reported, uh, what happened on, uh, in the trial and then what's been reported. And you know, we, we've only got so much time to do this and we will always do a good job of it. We do do a good job and I stand by that, but we're not perfect and sometimes we'll mess up and we, we are grateful that people will get in touch with that feedback and we can learn from it. And that's partly why we're revisiting this. So thank you as well to the people that did get in touch. Do you know what? Some people did get in touch in a really nice way, in a really fair way. Yeah. Um, And I would say the majority, I guess you kind of remember the the more harsh versions more, don't you? Because yeah. it, it hits yeah. you. But I think that's also why we've we've covered miscarriages of justice numerous times. And of course, if that was someone that you or I loved that was in prison for something that we strongly believe they didn't do, we'd be fighting to get their name cleared too. So that's why I wanted to revisit this. We finished part one with Luke's conviction, but let's take a step back and look at the trial. The trial has been called the longest trial in Scottish history for a single person, and it was also the most expensive trial. More than a hundred witnesses were due to give evidence during the trial. Luke himself did not give any evidence at the trial, apart from to state that he was not guilty of the murder of Jodie. At first, it was advised that the trial should be heard in Edinburgh because Luke may not get a fair trial in his local area, but this move wasn't granted, so he did stand trial locally. The trial had to be restarted because someone on the jury didn't admit that they had a connection to Luke at first, so then they had to begin all over again with a new jury. The jury was taken to four different locations during the trial and at one of those they were taken by bus to spend some time in the woods where Jodie had died. It was really unusual but it meant they would be able to appreciate the area a bit better. 
At another section of the woods, there was a fake wall erected and the prosecution used this to highlight how Luke had found Jodie's body. So let's take a look at this part of the case first. Luke's defence was that the dog had barked and made a fuss and had taken him to the wall where he then climbed over and found Jodie's body. But the prosecution said that he would have had to have known where he was going or where to look. They put the wall up so that the jurors could decide if he was truthful about this or not. The prosecution stated that the manner of Luke Mitchell's discovery of the body in the dark along a long path in a densely wooded area suggests he already knew where the body was and he also allegedly knew the type of tree that the body was found next to which would have been quite difficult to tell in the dark which implies he'd been there in daylight. Now an interesting fact in this case is that apparently original statements from people searching alongside Luke stated the dog scratched at a wall, whimpered, basically alerted him to that point. He went over the wall and found Jodie but their statements changed and later stated otherwise. So the official statements are that that didn't happen but apparently original statements said that they the dog did. I thought that was quite fascinating. Yeah and I suppose thinking about it logically Luke's dog would have been familiar with Jodie and her scent because uh, she's been to his house numerous times. They've been going out with each other for three or four months. So it kind of makes, because I'm sort of thinking, you know, there's lots of people probably searching for her on that night and it's Luke that finds the body at midnight. It's not somebody else, it's him. So that is more suspicious. But when you do look at the context of he's got his dog with him, his dog was familiar with Jodie, his dog would be familiar with her scent, it is quite likely that the dog could have absolutely led Luke to the site of Jodie's body and then made a fuss when he got there of there's something the other side of this wall that I recognise. So that's believable to me. But it's bothersome that the statements have been changed. It's weird, isn't it? And this is another kind of apparently, this is this is something from the case that apparently this happened. And I can't say for definite either way. But if that did happen, that's really frustrating because why? You want to know more about why did their statements change? The other thing yeah. um, that I have read is that this clearing where Jodie was found was an area that teens would go and hang out and sit. So actually, Luke probably had been there before with Jodie with friends or with both his his family dog he may have taken the dog out on walks and gone along that way as well the dog may have known the area you just don't know for definite I don't think it's either guilty or innocent really this whole thing of well he found the body Either way, it's uh, you. You could take it in whatever way you want to take it, can't you? Well, he's found the body out of all the people searching, so he must have known where it was. Or actually, well, of course he found the body because he's got his dog with him, and his dog would have followed the scent. And maybe he was more willing to climb over a wall in the pitch black because he had someone who, who, who you know, it's his girlfriend that he's searching for. Everyone else yeah. is searching, and that's they are searching for somebody. But would they be more? Would they be as willing to climb over? And he's a fit fourteen-year-old. 15 year old you know what i mean he's he's able to climb mm-hmm. over a wall more easily than a grown adult probably luke's alibi was that he was at home so luke said that he had chatted to his brother about half five his brother was at home so he would said his brother was at home his brother had at the time backed him up but in a separate interview and i don't know if you remember this from the original episode but in a separate interview luke's brother said luke had actually been out The reason he knew that his brother was out was because he was using the computer to look at pornographic material. 
And in another interview, the police got Luke's brother to agree he wouldn't have chosen to masturbate, sorry, had to say that word, if he believed someone else was at the house, because obviously you're not going to do that when your brother's in the home as well, and your mum. So the alibi was kind of shown to be either a lie or a mistake. It's very interesting. We don't we don't know where that computer was. No. Is that a computer in a communal area of that home? So the living room, for example, or is it in his own bedroom or did they share a bedroom? So I, I don't what know. Does that I, mean? Again, yeah. it doesn't yeah, it doesn't really tell us an awful lot. The difficulty is that Luke never denied that he did go out that evening. His story was that the pair were messaging, Jodie was due round, Jodie never showed up, so he assumed she wasn't going to come round and he went out. It wasn't particularly unusual. He had never denied going out, but the timings was what didn't fit. He was adamant that he was at home when Jodie was murdered and his mum had returned home at a specific time. So this this alibi was given initially, but it, it was apparently proven to be wrong. However, Luke's brother and his mum were charged with perverting the course of justice for giving Luke fake alibis. But this charge was reversed. The charge was reversed in a courtroom with no one else in. It was like the judge basically told them. The jury weren't there. So does this mean that they hadn't actually lied and the alibi did stand up? Or did it just mean that they were let off because... You know, the judge kind of gives them some sympathy. Oh, your son slash brother is a murderer, so I'll give you some sympathy and you're not going to be charged. Or did the judge think actually it wasn't a false alibi after all? And I haven't been able to find that out definitively, but they they were not charged with perverting the course of justice ultimately for giving a fake alibi. It could have been a genuine mistake, perhaps. That could be the reason. And it is hard, isn't it? So even on a significant day it's hard to go back and and really kind of break it down into hour by hour what you did if anybody tries to do that if you try and think what you did you know two days ago you'd struggle it would take some time you probably would get there but it's not going to be 100 percent accurate is it so maybe they they were a little bit confused or maybe something else went down that we're not privy to Luke told his friends that he had planned to meet with Jodie Jones that evening and he later mentioned to them that she was no longer meeting him. There had been no messages to, you know, definitively state this. Jodie had left her house to walk to him. So people who believe Luke is guilty think that the reason he knew she wouldn't be meeting him was because she was already dead, that he had killed her and then he'd returned home to solidify his alibi. So, you know, how did he, why was he saying to friends, well, she's not meeting me? How do you know she's equally not plausible? You? But then yeah. they're teenagers. He, she, he thinks she hasn't shown up, so therefore isn't meeting him. So he goes home. Yeah, yeah. The prosecution also said that Luke had taken an interest in the 1947 Black Dahlia case, and that they tried to say the wounds were similar. But the key part of the Black Dahlia case is that Elizabeth Short was cut in half. So it's a really tenuous link there, in my opinion. Um, the prosecution kind of had to prove that this 14-year-old was a cold, calm killer. So they focused on his love of Marilyn Manson, saying he was obsessed with the rock star. Marilyn Manson had done some paintings and one of them depicted the Black Dahlia murder. So the prosecution tried to say that these two obsessions prompted him to act. I still, I thought then, and I still think now, that it's just clutching at straws. And actually, if you'd Googled the Black Dahlia murder, maybe it was because he'd seen the painting that someone he loved from music had done or... Like any of us, yeah. he wondered what it was based was on. Yeah, yeah. This is just this is bollocks. Yeah, this doesn't really do the prosecution any favors. It does undermine what they're 
trying to achieve here. When the police searched Luke's room after his arrest in April 2004, they found a knife pouch, but the knife it would have held had been lost shortly after the murder of Jodie, and Luke's mum had purchased him a replacement. On the pouch, Luke had marked it with JJ 1989-2003, so Jodie Jones and her dates of birth and death. A really weird memorial for someone who was stabbed. And he'd also written, The finest day I have ever had was when tomorrow never came. And it is weird. You generally wouldn't do that as a memorial. But it doesn't mean anything specifically. And this was a 14-year-old who had gone through major trauma. Was this just a weird but his way of dealing with what he had seen and witnessed when he found his dead girlfriend. But then he'd lost the knife shortly after Jodie was murdered. And that's one of the things that's quite major in this case, is that that knife, his mum has tried to say that he never had a knife and she didn't purchase a replacement and that no knife went missing. But people knew that he carried a knife because whether he was drug dealing, he would use it as a threat Mm. this knife went missing shortly after the murder and has never been found so a lot of supposition that this was the murder weapon yeah there might be a bit more that we we don't know about uh, you know completely accept that but based just on that what's been reported that that's quite concerning luke mitchell had a distinctive green parker style jacket that he wore in the months leading up to the murder so i've read that apparently there was cctv of him wearing it on the day of the murder but this jacket also went missing after the murder and that Luke's mum had purchased a replacement for him. Luke's mum has said that he never had a jacket like that and that the jacket she bought him was the first one that she'd bought him. But apparently there was CCTV of him wearing this jacket previously and people spoke of remembering him wearing that jacket. So again, it's a lot of, you just don't know for definite which is the fact, but his mum is very, very much backing the fact that he didn't have that jacket. And he wasn't However, wearing it. An- another thought I have is, I know this is up in Scotland and it's a bit cooler um, in most of Scotland compared to the south of uh, the UK, but this is the summer, this is June when Jodie was murdered. Would Luke have been wearing a big Parker jacket? Do you know what though? I usually would think something like that, but yesterday it was really warm here and people were dressed in the most like different so many different ways Mm. i was sat at work and you'd see people walking past in just shorts and they'd be like topless like men walking around with just their like shorts on other people in coats and trousers i think also if he's in the style of like baggy black clothes and he's wearing like gothy sort of clothes maybe he would still wear a hoodie or something i just i don't know but i don't think it says too much the the suggestion is that he was wearing that coat when he killed her and because it was covered in blood, that's why it was destroyed, um, which does make sense if we look at it from an angle of his guilt because where is that coat? Why did his mum have to buy him a whole new coat? Yeah, but again, there's a huge question mark over this, but yeah, if he did have that coat, if he was wearing it at the time of the murder and he was the murderer, that would have been covered, you know, very sadly in Jodie Jones's blood. Of course it would. She, it was a frenzied attack and she was stabbed multiple, multiple times. So yeah, it, it would have been covered. So it would have had to have been disposed of. But then, uh, yeah, like I say, we have this huge question mark over whether he even had a jacket like that. Yeah. The prosecution stated that the wood burner at the Mitchell home had been used on two occasions that night and neighbours said it was unlikely to use it at those times and especially at this time of year. Why would you use a wood burner in the summer? But like you said with the coat, but makes a little bit more sense. 
but the wood burner. Police later recovered ash from the burner, but there was no evidence found inside the wood burner that could be linked to Jodie's murder. Police were unable to establish if clothes had been burned in it. So circumstantial evidence there was the jacket burned or not. The prosecution nor the defence can say either way definitively. And there was a TV documentary that a lot of listeners mentioned watching. And they pointed out that Sandra Lean actually did say this ruled out that clothes had been burned in destroyed in the burner that evening. But um, from what I've read, it was not that they were not found. It was that they can't be proven either way. Which I get because the temperatures that the, 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 that would get to, it's almost like a furnace, isn't it? So I don't know what it yeah. would get to, but it could be a thousand degrees for all we know. So anything going into that is literally being incinerated. A witness saw a teenage boy and a teenage girl resembling Jodie Jones and Luke Mitchell at the east end of the path where Jodie Jones's body was later found. And this witness put the time at around 1650. The witness's description of the boy and the girl as well as their clothing was a positive identification of them both. The witness later picked out Luke Mitchell's photograph from an album of similar looking males. Now, this witness could not identify Luke Mitchell in court a year and a half later. That doesn't necessarily invalidate the identification she made shortly after the event. But to some people, this then casts doubt on her sighting. I think it's a year and a half later and... I don't really think you can take too much into consideration with that. But some of Luke Mitchell's supporters say that, well, this person clearly didn't see him at the time. But his his facial features would have changed in a year and a half. His height would have probably changed. His, his hair, physical, lots yeah. of Yeah, lots of other elements of his physical appearance. His style, the clothes he would have been wearing He's in court. He's a year and a so, half older as well. Uh, when you're yeah, a child exactly. and a teenager, this isn't you an change adult. a lot in short times, yeah. Absolutely. So I, I don't think you can read into that personally. Two other witnesses described seeing a teenage boy matching Luke Mitchell's description at the opposite end of the path at around 1720. So these timings do fit. Jodie and Mitchell were seen at one end at 10 to 5. And then at about 20 past five, just Luke seen at the other end of the path. But what I would say is, after a frenzied attack such as the one that Jodie suffered, wouldn't Luke have been covered in blood? I don't know, perhaps maybe he was wearing a hoodie, which he did get covered in blood and he took it off. Um, But I feel like at least his shoes would have had blood on them, even if he washed his hands and his face somehow. But I just don't know for definite. Maybe they were too far away to know what his shoes looked like. Maybe he was stood in long grass. I just don't know. And I just, I still think having, if he did carry out that attack, it's a frenzied attack, a murder, it would have taken a hell of a lot of energy. He would have been really dishevelled. And you're absolutely right. I think, I think covered in blood from head to toe. So again, that this just doesn't really make sense because he wouldn't have just looked normal. He would have looked it would have been really obvious something had gone down, even if he'd made some kind of feeble attempts to clean himself up a little bit. I, I, there's only so much he could have done out there. Luke Mitchell was a habitual drug user and was known to smoke weed and he sold weed and there was talk of him using a knife as intimidation. So does this paint the picture of someone who would have his judgment and perception on reality altered? Someone who already showed violent tendencies? I know that it has been proven that weed makes people paranoid and act strangely, and I'm not going to deny that. But I'll be honest, the people I've known who smoked weed were not affected like this and actually sillier and potentially more friendly than others. Obviously, that is just my experience. And the whole thing of weed being a gateway drug to worse drugs is definitely true. But there's no evidence to suggest that Luke was into anything more than weed and alcohol. 
However, in the interest of fairness, this is a 14-year-old, not a grown adult, so he may have been more affected by substances. But do we think then that he was a drug dealer who used a knife, which means he could have been a more angry and paranoid and violent person? I think that's... I mean, he's, he's, he's not done himself any favours, has he? That's because, something to think yeah, of. That- you can really bend this to look any way you want. So you could absolutely say, well, you know, we've got this really fucked up kid here who is known to carry a knife, who is a drug dealer, he smokes weed, maybe he's had a psychotic episode um, and just flipped out and, and killed Jodie. So a lot, yeah, you can absolutely bend it quite easily to fit whatever path you want to take on this, whether that's that he did it or didn't. Because, yeah, it just kind of lots of things do point to it, but then there are all these big question marks. The prosecution had to try and convince the jury that Luke was the killer. Of course, that's their job. And this means they had to provide a motive. So the motive that was suggested was that Jodie had found out about the fact that Luke Mitchell was in a relationship with another teenage girl alongside her. He was planning on going on holiday with this other girl. So Jodie had written about how she was in love with Luke. This was her first relationship. It was a sexual relationship. So it would make a lot of sense that if Jodie had found out, she would have been really upset. She may have confronted Luke. Or perhaps he told her. Maybe he said, you know, I want to break up because I'm going to go on holiday with this girl. Maybe he, someone had told her about it and she'd got really angry. Did Jodie confront Luke, who felt the relationship was a lot less than Jodie thought it was? Did he snap during the argument? The extent of the violence used against Jodie in the attack, including the post-mortem mutilation of her body, suggests someone with a personal motive, not a random attack by a stranger. And this motive that was suggested, we've seen people get killed in arguments for much less, haven't we? And these two are teenagers full of hormones in a situation that to them is what well, to Jodie, you know, I if he broke up with me, I'd die. Like that is really, really huge and that is how her emotions were and that's did he lash out because she confronted him and he got caught yeah and this sounds like it was a really intense relationship it was an intimate relationship and at that age at 14 both of them were perhaps ill-equipped to deal with the emotional nature of, of that kind of relationship because of those intense feelings and this is all very very possible that yeah, they met up and they had an argument and she found out about this other girl and, uh, you know, who knows what was said and that he just reacted, uh, saw red, literally, and attacked her and couldn't stop himself, literally couldn't stop himself until he was out of breath and she was dead and then had that moment of, oh my God, what have I done? I need to get my head together now and and sort of sort myself out and get back home and have an alibi and, and all of that. I certainly don't think if he is responsible and, you know, I really struggle saying if because he has been convicted of this. Um, but we have to accept there are miscarriages of justice. So if he is responsible, um, then... Yeah, I, I can't even remember what I was saying, <laughs> where I was going with it. But yeah, it's, I don't know. I'm just really conflicted with it. But I could, I, my point is, I suppose, I can really see that that could have very easily happened, couldn't it? Yeah, this intense you can argument sides, with, can't we? with him reacting in just utter rage and known to carry a knife. That's what people have said. And he's got a knife and before he knows it, he's used it and he can't stop himself. I think it's good because we are so away from this. Somebody who knew either of them would have more emotion we can look at this on quite a factual 
black and white mm. way. Yeah, I do. I I do. I would just sort of add. I do still completely accept we don't know everything. Um, so yeah, I completely accept that. I'm just basing this on what 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 is widely reported. We don't know everything, so I do appreciate that there might be answers to some of these questions that I I've said this huge question mark over that. There might be other answers that actually prove the other way. So, and if anybody's got any information or evidence that we've said, oh, we just don't know this or we don't know that, and we'd love to know the answer to X, Y, Z. If you have got that information that I haven't been able to find when I've done my research, please do get in touch and send it to us because we would be fascinated to be able to come to more of an, un- an answer, I think, from ourselves. I don't know about you, Mark, but I would, I'd be really oh, yeah, interested I'd love to read to more. to know more, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it would have been interesting, you know, had Sandra responded to your email, Beth, and to have had further information. So it was a shame that we didn't get that. And I'm sure yeah, there were reasons for that. Yeah, she did offer it. She offered so much more and she said that yeah, she could give us but, all this information. And I said, please do send me whatever you want me to read. Yeah. I want to. So we shall see. But that's fine. Things happen and people have reasons why they can't come back. But um, I know we're kind of yeah, we're just one small show on. compared with all these other people that she was probably talking to. Exactly. And, you know, we're not important in the grand scheme of it at all. But I just want to say, you know, he was convicted in 2005, wasn't he? 20 year minimum term. And it's 2023 now. So he's still protesting his innocence. He will not be released at all. Uh, Willie, I don't think if he um, doesn't admit his guilt to this. So he's only potentially a couple of years from being released. If he actually turns around now and says, do you know what? I found God or whatever, or I've grown and I've learned. And actually, I'm ready to kind of say, yeah, I did do it. And I'm, I will, I want to apologize to the family and blah, blah. And then he stands a chance of getting out. But the fact that he's adamantly continuing to pursue this not guilty line, even though he could potentially be freed in a couple of years, there is a lot of weight to that. I think that does say a lot that, um, that that he could totally be innocent because if you had done it wouldn't you just turn around and go oh fuck it you know i, I can get out in a couple of years if i just admit it now so yeah, i'll admit exactly. it i did do it that's definitely but you a can't, big part to this yeah i think so so as i said in part one the jury of eight women and seven men took just five hours to deliberate before finding luke guilty luke was sentenced and the judge said he would sentence him to a minimum of 20 years in prison before being considered for parole because he was truly wicked in 2006 luke was granted leave to appeal this was based on a number of facts so the fact that the trial shouldn't have been held locally that the media had already given away so much information his family had been run out of town basically that he hadn't had a fair trial this was allowed and in 2008 his appeal was heard the three judges agreed two to one that his original trial stood and that even if it had been held in Edinburgh, the evidence didn't change anything. The one judge who disagreed said that they were really sad that they had to disagree with their colleagues, but that Luke should have had a lawyer for his interviews. And the judge said the sentencing judge should not have imposed such a punishment of such severity on a young offender. However, this was a two to one verdict. His appeal was quashed. And Luke Mitchell remains incarcerated currently. As you said, he continues to protest his innocence. So, what do we think? First of all, I think it's really important that we should note there have not been any similar attacks in the area 
in the nearly two decades since Jodie's murder. This, along with the fact that the evidence showed what seemed like a personal attack by someone who had a personal motive, sticks with me. This keeps me more on the side of Luke's guilt, but I don't know if I was on the jury whether or not I'd felt fully convinced. Was there someone else who could have had a personal reason to attack Jodie at this moment? The reason for the potential argument and the reason for the attack, the idea that Jodie confronted Luke about his other girlfriend does feel unlikely to me but we like I said we've seen people killed for less just because I don't think that I would react in that way doesn't mean that I can't put myself in the shoes of two 14 year olds who are so just obsessed with their own world and that could be the case the fact that none of Luke's DNA was found on Jodie's body or at the scene is a big one for me She apparently fought back to her attacker, but Luke had no injuries on him. This, for me, is where the case against Luke falls down. However, the police moved Jodie's body onto a plastic sheet, but didn't properly protect the scene overnight. It rained the night of her discovery, so potentially DNA had been washed off and was just not identified because of this. Some of Luke's supporters have stated they believe this wasn't poor policing, but actually purposefully bad policing as part of a cover-up. Why? I'm not really sure. I haven't seen anything that actually tells you why they would have wanted to cover this up or to put him forward as a scapegoat. Luke's supporters suggest that the police focused on Luke really early on and didn't look at anyone else because they felt they had their man. But this was at the time of finding Jodie. So surely that's not that they even know that they've got their man yet. This is just a bit of shitty policing. What do you think? I... I think I'm much more balanced now. I think I used to put so much faith in the court system of fair trials and all of that. But you, you've, you're really fascinated in miscarriages of justice and you've covered quite a few. And I'm much more a believer now that just because someone has been proven as guilty of a crime in court, actually, we can't say that they are 100% guilty. Only they're going to know that, really. Um, they probably are. It's a pretty good, robust system, but it's not perfect. And we do see miscarriages of justice. So I think before, when when we first looked at this case, I was probably like, well, he's been convicted. So of course, he's done it, which is so naive. I've learned so much in five years. Now, I don't think that at all. I think I'm kind of 50-50 with it. I actually think the grounds of um, motive of them having an argument, I could really see that. Um, really intense feelings at that age in a an intimate relationship. And yeah, it would feel like the end of the world if uh, your boyfriend has been cheating on you and she, she could have said all sorts of things to him that made him react in, in the way that he may have reacted and this kind of frenzied attack on her. So I, I could see that having happened. But there, there are just a lot of holes in this. And you're right, there's no evidence at the scene. There's no DNA evidence. So that's a real concern. And then we've got this sighting of him, I think, at 20 past five down the west side of the path I think you'd said and you know just looked kind of normal and I can't really see that would have been the case there would have been a lot of blood I would have thought and she did fight back like you said so surely there would have been wounds on him um and they weren't. So that's, again, that's, I don't know, that's just a huge part of it for me. I just, yeah, it's like one one thing will send me down the guilty path and one the other thing will send me down the innocent path. So I, I, would, I just can't say, I really can't say. And that's horrible because, you know, 
I, I'm sure Jodie's family want to feel that justice has been done and they might still feel that, of course, but maybe even if they accept the verdict and believe he's guilty, maybe they have got 1% of them that has this niggling doubt because people have so vehemently defended Luke's innocence and that's sad for them, I think, that they don't necessarily get the full closure on this where they can just try and put a bit of a lid on it here and there. Um so yeah, it's just really sad. And Jodie, Jodie gets lost so much in all of this, so much. And it's all about Luke and whether he's guilty or innocent. And if it is a miscarriage of justice, then he's a victim too, and it's horrific. But we do need to remember that a girl died in this, a lovely girl who had done nothing wrong died. This is it, because when we talked about Stephen Downing's case, where the huge miscarriage of justice, ultimately, Wendy's murder went unsolved yes Stephen is completely a victim but Wendy's murderer has not been convicted that's that's not fair and in this case if this is a miscarriage of justice Jodie's killer has not been apprehended that's that is uh, yeah exactly what you said that's the difficult thing and I definitely more open to believe that Luke didn't kill her from revisiting this case i very much looked at it the first time as well he's been convicted like you said he's been convicted therefore he's the murderer so let's present the case and i do remember talking about some of the points that people made about his innocence in the first time we talked about this but not with any real discussion we just kind of made those points and that was that but we could talk about some theories of who may have done it otherwise Mm. in case he didn't do it yeah. If you look online, there are rumors. It is really yeah. easy to find names of other suspects, according to the public. Recently, the stone wall near to where Jodie was found was graffitied with the following: so Jay, rest of the name redacted, killed Jodie, and there was a lot of talk online by locals about the fact that someone else is known to have been responsible. I can't find out who, what the J name is that people have written on that wall. I can't find the unredacted photograph. I don't know if that's the right word. Mm. But there's quite a few J options. Um, I think it's okay to kind of bring these to the table because they were discussed during the trial. The trial contents are public and have not been, you know, made that they can't be reported on. Um. However, what I would say is that these are people who were mentioned during the trial and they haven't been arrested. So I think it's we have to be very careful and I think we have to be very fair in saying these are online rumours. These are not necessarily facts. Well, these aren't facts at all because they've not been proven. So, yeah, the, you know, people who are saying that Luke Mitchell is innocent, obviously that that does mean that there is potentially somebody else out there who did do this. So, so yeah, people will talk about that. Jodie's second cousin was asked if he had murdered Jodie during the trial. So his name was John Ferris. So obviously John begins with a J. He was 18 at the time and he and his cousin, Gordon Dickey, had ridden a moped near to the spot where Jodie's body was found. Luke's defence said that John had chopped and changed the time in his story of the journey. So first of all, telling police that he and his cousin had headed up the Roanstike path at about 4.30. Other witnesses said that they'd heard that noisy moped, which didn't have a proper silencer, actually close to one end of the path after 5pm. He had also cut off his curly hair following media reports describing a mystery man seen following Jodie. 
He also apparently waited five days after the killing before he spoke to police and admitted in court that he had only gone to the police five days after Jodie died when he saw a TV news report about attempts to trace two youths on a motorbike and that report had left him shaking. He firmly denied having anything to do with Jodie's murder. He had also failed to meet up with Jodie's brother Joseph at the house from which she left on the day of her murder. I think it's interesting but it's graffiti and it's online supposition. So without any actual evidence, you can't really investigate it, can you? No, of course. And the police would have looked into anybody that they had those suspicions around. So her second cousin, for example, they've they've looked into that and they're wholly satisfied that he's had, had no part in this. And but then there's lots of... Are Luke supporters right? Did the police just not investigate any further? They latched uh, onto Luke well, and didn't look any further. Potentially, but I, I don't know. I just, yeah, I mean, it's difficult because people are so adamant that Luke Mitchell is innocent. So that means that, you know, if if that's the case, somebody else did this, probably somebody that knew Jodie. So, yeah, who who was it? And we, we can't speculate any more than what has been publicly out there uh, and reported. But I think that's the most concerning part of this, that, you know, it, it, it could just be some random person. If it wasn't Luke Mitchell, it could just be some random person that actually had no connection to Jodie. And although the nature of her murder points to it being personally motivated, it might not have been because we've seen attacks like this before where the killer wasn't known to the victim. So it could just could have been some random psychopath out there who just wanted to kill someone and happened to kill her and could strike again or maybe did strike again in a different part of the country or a different part of the world and has gotten away with it. So that's what's most concerning for me if Luke Mitchell is guilty. Yes, that uh, sorry, innocent. Yes, that he spent like 20 years in prison nearly for a crime he did not commit, but actually more so than that, that, that someone's gotten away with this and they could have done it already again and we don't know who they are. This is it. There's... There's elements to this which point to somebody who knew her. There's elements that point away from the people who knew her. So, for example, Jodie's sister's fiancé's DNA was found on Jodie's body, which it seems like a really worrying thing to hear. But then apparently that was due to her borrowing a T-shirt from her sister. So the T-shirt had the boyfriend's DNA on it. But I could buy a pair of socks from Primark and bring them home. And for whatever reason, they end up in a lab being analysed. They could have someone else's semen on them because I know this is absolutely disgusting to talk about, but somebody could have had semen on their hands, gone shopping in Primark, touched those socks. I've then come along five minutes later, picked them up and gone, I'm going to buy them and then I'm wearing them. So those pair of socks, they're brand new. You'd think they're all fresh and lovely but they could have 10 different people's DNA on, including traces of semen. So, now, or blood. I Someone always might have wash clothes finger. that I buy from the shop. I always wash them before I wear them. I'm gunning because now. Because of, I just think like, I want my washing powder and that sort of, like the chemicals that could be used in a factory to not be on my skin. Because I've got quite sensitive skin. So I always wash yeah. them with my own washing powder, blah, blah, blah. But now I'm going to be doubly sure that I do. Yeah, because you I don't need want to. someone's dirty, dirty DNA on my clothes. Yeah, but genuinely, think how many people we, we kind of see by touching a lot of the time, don't we, when we're uh, looking for clothes in particular. So you're going to be touching them. So, so many people could have touched them. They might have been biting the side of their nail on their finger and it had bled and there's blood on it. So I'm just always quite careful with DNA evidence being found when it's like trace DNA. I'm like, well, yeah, it's like there's DNA over fucking everything from multiple different people that you know and don't know. 
that's just the nature of it. I don't read too much into it. There was also a condom that was close to where Jodie was found, but this does appear not to be linked to her murder. This was an area where people would, you know, teens would meet and have sex and drink and smoke weed. Her attack did not include a sexual assault or rape, according to the police. So it's just an element that is added in. But I feel like this... This side to it is, you know, you've mentioned it already and I think it's the bit that possibly would freak you out the most is a random attacker who took an opportunity. You mentioned in part one, Stuart Ludlam, a totally motorless murder that's perpetrated by someone who quickly moved on. Stuart Ludlam, whose murder we covered in season two, episode four. So his killer, Colin Cheatham, who we talked about with the we as well, he'd always dreamed about committing the perfect murder with complete stranger as his victim. On September 17th, 2009, he shot and killed 43-year-old taxi driver Stuart Ludlam at Comford Railway Station. Cheatham had zero connection to Stuart. And most frighteningly of all, there was no motive behind the killing. Could Jodie have been the victim of such an attack? And what if it's uh, someone who is um, like an itinerant person who's moving around the country for many reasons? Mm, mm. Could it be that? Yeah, and uh, the the motive, the only motive you could say with Colin Cheatham, I say, but we were pronouncing things differently. I'm not calling you out and saying Cheatham. It might be <laughs> I Cheatham. I probably said it wrong, uh, to be honest. But I will say Cheatham because I'd feel really weird not saying it like that. But the only motive there could have been there was uh, just the sense of accomplishment, perhaps, that, you know, I am so clever that I have managed to actually, I've killed a man and I've gotten away with it and nobody knows that I've killed a man. Aren't I brilliant? and I'm better than everybody else that could be the only possible motive there um so yeah we could it could absolutely be the same here that's my concern Bethan too that it's potentially I would use maybe the term vagrant somebody who is you know doesn't really have a home or a kind of much of a home and he's just sort of moving around the country uh traveling around and uh might have you know mental ill health might have a condition that means they are prone to behave in that way potentially if they're not taking medication maybe so yeah there are lots of explanations it could absolutely point to a random attack and just because there was no sexual assault or rape doesn't mean that it's you know oh well it's you know that that doesn't always point to it being somebody known or unknown. It, I don't really buy too much into that. So, you know, quite often they would say, well, if there's a sexual motive there, well, you know, that can point either way. But you can just make it whatever you want, can't you? I've not explained that very well, but I don't really read into that is what I'm saying. Whether there is a sexual attack or not, to me, that doesn't point one way or the other that it was known no, to them or no, not No, I don't known. think so. I think the... The elements um, that pointed to it being personal was the how frenzied it was. That's usually a personal attack. Mm. Um, one of the key elements that suggests not a random attack is that Jodie went round to the area behind the wall. That's where she was then attacked. She went into that area. Would she have voluntarily have gone round, uh, climbed over or gone round the wall to an area where she hung out with people and she knew from having been there... Would she have done that with somebody she didn't know? However, you've got Mm. someone holding a knife at you. Do you do what they tell you because you think you're just going to get robbed? But then she fought back. When when she was being attacked, she fought back. So if she was going to fight back, would she have really gone round the wall in the area 
because she was being threatened by a knife and then started to fight back. It's, it's. I think and, that's and a key al- element for this that does say against a random attacker how yeah, agree, how they would have encouraged also, her around the, the gap. Yeah, but, but this could have been, and I'm sure we've seen this before, where there's been an attempted rape, but the assailant couldn't actually achieve an erection to carry out the rape and therefore, in absolute frustration... Um, has then, and to, you know, eliminate the one witness to their crime, has then murdered them. So, you know, it could have been that there was a sexual motivation there, and that's how they forced her around behind that wall, but then that rape couldn't be carried out, and then the attack it escalated. ensued. Yeah. I mean, it's hard, I really, in, a, in lots of ways, I just don't want to think about it, because... yeah. You don't want we that don't to be the know, case and at it's all. speculation, and I just don't want to think of those last moments would have been harrowing enough for her, whatever the scenario. It's just, yeah, it's just really hard, isn't it, to think about it? Because we, we, you know, we're probably all a bit guilty of just focusing on this whole potential miscarriage of justice, and we're probably a bit guilty of it too, maybe. And we've forgotten a bit about her. I don't know. I don't know if we have, but I, I, I think that's my concern. There is a fourteen-year-old girl at the heart of this. And it's hard to think about what could have happened and by whom in those final moments of her sadly premature life. Yeah. So in conclusion, Luke Mitchell has had a number of previous attempts to overturn his conviction rejected and a bid to have his case referred to the UK Supreme Court was turned down at the High Court in Edinburgh. On the flip side, former Strathclyde police officers John Salins and Michael Neal were commissioned to re-examine the evidence and they have come to the conclusion that there is doubt on Luke Mitchell's conviction and that Luke Mitchell could have been the victim of a miscarriage of justice. But Police Scotland have since issued a statement to the effect that they are satisfied that Luke Mitchell was guilty and they are not looking for anyone else in connection with the crime. They state that the evidence produced at the trial was circumstantial However, the prosecution argued that that together it made a compelling case and the jury agreed. So this has changed my opinion on I don't think Mm. he is definitively guilty. There is so much doubt in my mind and I don't know that if I had all of this in front of me, I'd be able to say either way. But I still sway more towards that because I think it was very personal and it makes sense to me that they could have had row and that he's just grabbed a knife that he is used to using to threaten people, and that afterwards he is so affected by it. But then I feel bad, because what if he was just so affected by it because he was suffering from trauma? Uh, Not that my uh, opinion really matters. (laughs) You know, I don't need to feel that bad about it, because it's just my opinion. But that's the element that makes me feel really sad, is that and... The fact that he has not stopped professing his innocence, I think that is really key. You could quite quietly just put your head down, serve your time, admit it, get out, you're you're free again. But like you said earlier, he's been in there nearly the whole sentence already. Why is why would you still do that? Yeah, I mean, he was born, I think you said in eighty eight. So uh, what that he's like mid thirty. He was so, born in eighty eight. Yeah. Yeah. So he's thirty five ish and could be out in his late 30s. That is not too late to start a new life. And, to, you know, you've served your time. You've served your sentence if you did do it. And hopefully, potentially, will be reformed and you could go on to have your own family, live your life, 
have all the therapy that you need, maybe medication, whatever. Yeah, it's exactly. not too late for him. So, so age was on his side. So you would think potentially, yeah, what, why has he maintained his innocence then so long? You know, that does really sway me. That does sway me a bit. Uh, yeah, there, there's something in that, but I'm still 50-50. But I'd be really interested to hear, do any of our listeners go with, nope, still guilty? Have we not managed to change your mind at all? So there we go. Thank you very much for joining us, guys. Bye. Bye. 